This week on the Drew Goodman Podcast. Drew is reacting to Sean Payton taking over as Broncos head coach. Tom Brady's retirement and the championship weekend a disappointment? Also, Drew talks with former Rockies pitcher Chad Bettis. Catching us up on what he's doing now. His pitching days with the Rockies. And the mindset it took for him to beat cancer. Just saying, you can do this. You can get through this. Focus on just, you know, this incremental part of the day. Let's power through it. And then on the other end, we're going to go. We're going to go. We're going to get through this together. We're in, we're in the trenches, right? And it's not fun sometimes, but we're going to, we're going to be okay. We're going to come out on the other side a lot better for it. Subscribe to the Drew Goodman podcast, wherever you find podcasts and tell a friend. This is the Drew Goodman podcast. Welcome in, everybody. It is show number 187. And before we get to a lot of different topics, because there's a lot of stuff going on in the world of sports locally and nationally, I have failed my boys. I have three beautiful boys. They're they're great. Couldn't be more proud of them. They're terrific young men. Uh, they're all in their you know, early 20s now. My youngest will turn 20 here in about six weeks. But I failed them. I failed them in that I've never taught them how to change a tire. And maybe it's because I haven't changed a tire in a long time. But I failed them. Because my oldest son, who now lives in Austin, Texas, and uh, he's 24, he got a flat, and I walked him through it. I said, listen, dude, I said, don't just put more air in that tire. It's going to go flat again. It's not like a bike tire that, because of non-use, it, it, it kind of goes flat, and there's not necessarily a hole in it. That's not how it works with tires. You got to go to a tire shop and have them check it out for a leak. You probably got a nail or a screw in there, and they'll fix it. Well... He didn't do that, and sure enough, it went flat in his parking garage, and next thing you know, he's got a bigger issue, and I was trying to walk him through changing the tire, and that was a disaster. So I have failed my uh, boys in that I did not teach them how to change a tire. Might get them all together. Might might make a trip down to Austin, Texas, grab my other two boys from where they are, and, and we're going to have a little tire-changing exercise one afternoon. I'm sure that'll go over well. Moving on to uh, the topic du jour, and that is, uh, it's a topic for the week and topic for the next several weeks, and it'll be talked about until the Broncos kick off uh, the season next year, and that is, they got their man, Sean Payton. Sean Payton was the biggest name, the most celebrated former coach on the market. And a great reputation for working with the future Hall of Famer, Drew Brees, in uh, beginning in 2006 in New Orleans. Won a lot of games there. I think went to the postseason nine times, won a Super Bowl back in 2010 with the Drew Brees at the helm. Well thought of. Um, the asking price, you heard me last week. I said, you know, I'm kind of over it. I said, I, I just think the asking price was a lot. And um, though I have always admired Sean Payton and his resume, I felt like there were other really good candidates out there that will be leaders of men. And you've heard me pontificate on this subject in the past that it's not 
just as simple as, oh, we need a quarterback whisperer or we need an offensive guru. Therefore, we have to hire a head coach from that side of the ball. I don't subscribe to that. You need a leader of men, an organizer, um, and somebody that can coach coaches. And then you can go get an offensive coordinator, a quarterback coach that will work well with Russell Wilson. They ended up back at Sean Payton and they're giving up a lot. But now you have the guy on the market that had the most stellar resume. I was hoping it worked with D'Amico Ryans, even though I had said again several weeks ago that the Broncos, given the fact that the last three head coaches did not have prior head coaching experience, it'd be hard to go that route again. I think D'Amico Ryans is going to be really successful uh, down in Houston. Uh, but again, they ended up back with Peyton, which is fine. It's not my money. They're going to pay him a king's ransom, not just in the trade with New Orleans, but they're going to pay him. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if he ends up the highest paid coach in the in the business. And so it better work. And he's going to make all the decisions, right? It, it reminds me of that great Bill Parcells line. I think I ran it out last week. If If you want me to cook the meal, you at least ought to let me buy the groceries. And so... He, the guy they just hired, Sean Payton, he's going to run the whole show. Uh, the other Payton, I'm sure he's working on his resume right now. So good for the Broncos. And I, I think it's, um, I don't want to say a shot across the bow for Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson's a good guy. Russell Wilson wants to play well. He wants to play more like he did in the last couple of games. And certainly he did most of the first 15 games this year. Um, he has immense respect uh, for Sean, Sean Payton, who was a college quarterback at Eastern Illinois, like a former Bronco head coach who had a great deal of success, Mike Shanahan. He understands quarterback play. He's been innovative offensively. So you can't quibble with this hire. It's a good hire. It's an exciting hire. And now let's see how it all plays out. So good for the Broncos. They got their man. And as I said a moment ago, yeah, they had to pay a lot for it. They're going to pay an enormously high salary. Ain't my money. And certainly um, that group of owners have deep pockets. But maybe, maybe the Broncos finally, you know, have the right guy leading the franchise, certainly based on what he did in New Orleans, one would think. And the Broncos can get back to the postseason. It is a storied franchise. I need not tell you that. It has always been one of the uh, best franchises really in all of sport. It has been a franchise that has enjoyed um, near unprecedented support from the community and from their fan base. There are a lot of great fan bases, so I'm not going to do the trite, oh, they're the best fans in the world. Bronco fans are great, phenomenal. Um, there are other great fan bases as well, but, but the Broncos need to be back in the postseason, and they need to be back in the postseason next year because there's enough good players that can get them there. They're not a finished product. I'm not sitting here telling you they're going to be Super Bowl champs uh, next year. That would be nice. But they ought to get back to the playoffs. So good for the Broncos overall. Good for the Broncos getting uh, Sean Payton. Tom Brady, he finally retired. And when I woke up in the morning and I saw his, you know, he kept it simple. He said, you know, I, I did the elaborate uh, goodbye last year and that lasted, I don't know, whatever it was, four or five weeks. And then he came out of retirement. This one, he said, is for good. He was on the, you know, on the, on the beach somewhere. I think like any football fan, you have immense respect for Tom Brady. And I started thinking about, you know, 
how I will remember Tom Brady. And I think the simplest way is he was appointment viewing. When Tom Brady was on with the Patriots and the last few years with Tampa Bay, I never would watch a Tampa Bay game. I love the NFL. I love football. You guys know that. But I would watch Tampa. If they're on, man, I'm watching because I want to see Brady play. There's certain guys, you know, you go back to when Jordan was doing his thing with the Bulls. I was never a Bulls fan, but if Jordan was on, you want to watch it. And with Brady, you needed to watch. He was, as I said, appointment viewing. And certainly when he was with New England and every year they were either in the Super Bowl, winning the Super Bowl, um, or contending to be in the Super Bowl. Um, two, two of my greatest sports moments as a fan was watching the Giants upset them twice in 2007 and 2011 and ruined their 18-0 season that, that one year. Um, he always handled himself with class. Did he have a temper? Did he throw the iPads? on? It's, so what? He's a, he's a competitive SOB who everyone who ever played with him and was around him just sings his praises. Team guy, jumps right in. I mean, think of Antonio Brown and, and, and when he went to Tampa, Brady immediately took him in his home. And I think he did this on, on multiple occasions. He was all in. And I think back to the fact that he's going to finish his career as a 45-year-old. Had he come back, he would, he would have been naturally 46, right? And he's still very good. I mean, he's better than more than half the quarterbacks in the NFL. He can still spin it. So it's not like he's going out, you know, broken down old man, kind of like George Blanda, who played famously into middle age. George Blanda looked like a middle-aged or maybe even older than that when he hung it up with the Raiders. Tom Brady looks like he should be on the cover of GQ, and maybe he will be in the coming uh, weeks again. And it's not just, you know, the whole pretty boy syndrome. He can still spin it. They weren't as good around him. They weren't as good up front this year with Tampa. But it's not like you watched him and go, man, what a precipitous drop-off. We were talking a moment ago about Drew Brees. Drew Brees, late in his career, couldn't throw the ball anymore. Did not have the same velocity with his passes. Did not have the same arm strength. Could not throw the the route tree that he used to be able to do. Tom Brady can still make all the throws. If Tom Brady wanted to play next year and there was speculation, would he go back to Northern California, play for the 49ers, their complete football team, um, other than having a, a fully healthy quarterback? But, you know, he, he's hanging it up. Wish him all the best. It's not like we're not going to see him again. I think he had, what is he, a $375 million deal with Fox. I think he'll be a good analyst. I was listening to some people... Uh, earlier today, uh, I was listening on the Stephen A. Smith show on First Take, and and uh, Mike and the Mad Dog were on, and they were talking about you know heaping praise naturally on on Tom Brady, but they were stating that they don't think he'll be a great analyst, and I couldn't disagree more. I think he will be. A really good analyst. I think he will be critical. I think he will give you opportunities to see the game from his eyes, something that, that Tony Romo has been able to do. I think he'll make that transition nicely. I don't know how long he'll do it because he's like Peyton Manning. He's probably going to have his hand in a lot of things. LeBron James the same way. 
Um, but he'll be around. He will, he will be around. He'll probably get into ownership one day. That's when, when you're talking about the athlete that is finishing their career, that is the, the super duper duper star, right? The Peyton Mannings, the Tom Brady's, the LeBron James, uh, they will end up in ownership um, at some point if that is what uh, they desire. But uh, all the best to, uh, to Tom Brady. I'm going to miss watching him play. It's now a, a full transition to this next group of quarterbacks led by Patrick Mahomes, uh, led by Joe Burrow, led by Josh Allen. I mean, the mantle has officially uh, been moved into their hands with Tom Brady stepping aside. Staying in football, I've never been more disappointed coming out of championship weekend in the NFL than I was this weekend. The NFC game, which I and you were so looking forward to, is this fabulous San Francisco team, great defense, all the weapons they have on offense. And, and I love watching CMC play. You know, Christian McCaffrey, he's from right right here in our town, man, Valor High School, where he was phenomenal, greatest high school player I've ever seen. What he did at Stanford should have been the Heisman Trophy winner. Um, I root big time for him, and I love watching him play, Debo Samuel, um, you know, the Purdy was such a, a marvelous story, third string quarterback, all, you know, the, the, the whole deal, the last pick in the draft and these guys get hurt. Philadelphia is a great team. And all of a sudden you had no quarterback. You got no football game. They should have allowed, I don't think it would have made a difference in the outcome, but you got to have a third, a third guy able to dress if you lose the first two, the fact that they're down three touchdowns and they're having to run the ball, that Christian McCaffrey's playing wildcat, and, and I mean that should never happen, especially in the postseason. It was a shame. It was so anticlimactic because on paper this should have been a phenomenal showdown, and then you had the myriad of flags tossed, and it continued in the AFC game, in the AFC championship between Kansas City. In Cincinnati, Mahomes was terrific, threw for over 300 yards. You know, the two guys that were a question mark going in, Kelsey and Mahomes, they played wonderful games. Um, Chris Jones was great, not good, great defensively. And Kansas City earned the trip. It was, you know, sad to see how it happened because the game should have gone to overtime. And watching that linebacker, you know, push. You know, half step out of bounds, push Mahomes, and and you know, I got on social media and, and I was I was upset with the officiating that day, and I'm going to get more into that here in a second. Um, you know, I feel bad for that kid. That kid played a hell of a football game, and he's going to be remembered for that one play. And so many of his teammates came to his defense. Um, you know, Zach Taylor came to his defense as he should. Football never comes down to one play. That kid played a well of a game. He was despondent on the sideline, in the locker room, understandably. And I think sometimes social media can be the absolute worst. People who, I think people who played football at any level understand it is such a, you know, physical, violent encounter and you're going like gangbusters and, and it's not easy to all of a sudden back off, turn it off. And yeah, he, he'd like that play back because, you know, it's right on the boundary and it's a shame that that those 15 yards ended up being the difference in, in allowing Kansas City to win. I have nothing against Kansas City winning. I would have liked to have seen at that point it go to, um, to overtime. 
Um, there was a missed call on the block in the back, on the punt return. There were too many calls. And uh, forgive me for doing this again. I do it like two or three times a year during the football season. Stop throwing the damn flags. It has to be an egregious infraction to throw the flag when it comes to pass interference, when it comes to holding it has to be egregious. It has to affect the play. It has to be prolonged. I think Tom Brady uh, came out the other day and and said rather diplomatically that you know the officials have a really tough gig. They're trying to officiate in real time, world class athletes moving at exceptional speeds. A hundred percent agree with him. But one word he added was that it, it in addition to it being an egregious infraction, it has to be prolonged. So if there's a, a tug on the jersey, don't immediately throw the flag. Now, if there's a wrap up and a tug in, in the jersey and it's held for you know a second and a half and prevents that defensive end or defensive lineman or outside linebacker from getting near the quarterback, then it's holding. If the hardest job in football is to be a cornerback and 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 try to cover these unbelievable receivers one on one. And there's always going to be hand fighting. There's always going to be contact. All of the rules favor the offense, as you know. Let it go again, unless it is prolonged or a guy grabs his arm and prevents, you know, the receiver from getting two hands up to try to uh, compete to catch the football. Way too many flags. Think of the Super Bowl. Most Super Bowls, there there aren't many flags thrown. Because they let the players decide the outcome. If you ask players, which I have, if you ask fans, which we all are, what do they want? They don't want to see, they don't want to know the name of the white hat. They don't want to see the white hat. They want to let the players decide. Players want to let the players decide. Fans want to let the players decide. It was a disappointing weekend from an officiating standpoint that went way beyond the fact that the 49ers ran out of quarterbacks and the fact that that young man, you know, did hit the uh, quarterback, in this case, Patrick Mahomes, on the boundary, which was unnecessary roughness. Well, I'm going to segue to baseball. Uh, spring training is just a couple weeks away, pitchers and catchers. You have a WBC this year. And I love to catch up with guys that were – Great Rockies were important to fans. And this uh, gentleman who we have on this week, he didn't retire all that long ago. And he was important to fans because he was so relatable, not only as an athlete, but what he went through in his battle uh, with testicular cancer. And that's Chad Bettis. And uh, I ran into Chad at fantasy camp this year back in November. He looks great. Uh, He's got a beautiful young family. Um, He's doing really well in business. And he's, he's made that transition to beyond life as an athlete in uh, seemingly in a, in a perfect way. And um, I've, I've always enjoyed Chad. I enjoyed when he played. I think he's bright. I think he's thoughtful, uh, great competitor, uh, a, a guy that helped the Rockies not only as a starter, but also coming out of the bullpen. And we'll talk about that as well. So um, I've wanted to uh, bring you Chad for a while and kind of reflect back. It's almost a, a where are they now, even though they haven't been gone that long. And Chad's still a very young guy in his early 30s. Uh, but he had an impact on the Rockies and an impact, I'm sure, on all of you, not just as an athlete, but on what he went through um, in battling and, and winning his uh, his war against cancer. 
So here he is in part one, because we chatted for a while, part one of our conversation this week with the former Rocky pitcher, Chad Bettis. Chad, it's been it's been a little while since fans have heard from you, I'm sure, but you're you're down in the Dallas area in Frisco. What have you been up to, man? Uh, you know, just uh helping out with our family business down here and uh just uh having a having a great time being a dad and uh and and a husband and uh owner business owner. So, you know, it's uh it's been it's been a a great transition, um as 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 I would say. What type of business is it? It's a, it's a document management system, uh, software. And so, uh, the product that we leverage is called Laserfish and, uh, we're, we're really impactful in the K through 12 marketplace. Uh, so it's great to be able to see the benefits that, uh, students, teachers, principals, and even, you know, executive, up to the executive board, uh, the benefits that it has to them. But I think, you know, it kind of gets back to, um, at least from like when I played baseball, you know, being able to be interactive with the fans and, and, you know, go talk with the kids and, you know, have it be about the kids and have them, you know, engaged in a, in a, a little bit different way than, than, than what you would see, you know, just, uh, on your day to day baseball stuff. And so I think being able to see and realize the impact that we can help teachers get back to, Having more time with students, I think, is is huge, um, and and is something that you know speaks, you know, just really close to my heart. So, it's uh, it's been it's been a lot of fun. You know, and I got the feeling when I saw you at Fantasy Camp in November that you were in a in a not a good place. You were in a great place, and it's not. Uh, I don't I don't want to say it's not always commonplace that athletes like yourself are able to make the transition from playing in the locker room and the camaraderie and the competition and all the things that go into it. It's such a, you know, a marvelous, um, you know, piece of one's life at whatever level you compete at to then doing something else. And it seems like this has given you energy and purpose and, and, um, and, and maybe it can't completely replicate being an athlete, but, there's probably similarities in how you compete in your business. Oh yeah, no, I think there's there's a lot of crossover, and I think I think for me, like realizing it more now than ever, you know, even as I continue to help run our company, it's it's being able to see and visualize things, and 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 you know what you would as an athlete, right? Like how from from a from a baseball player standpoint, it is you know what do I need to do, and how do I need to essentially game plan and have a strategic plan moving forward to uh, from a big picture standpoint as a starting pitcher, I always wanted to go nine. I always wanted the perfect game and always wanted to be that guy. Right. And sometimes that doesn't happen. Right. And that's okay. But then you just start trying to minimize the damage, right. From a pitching standpoint, if I get up a hit, okay. If I, then nobody else gets a hit, right? And then let's figure out ways to carve out around it. Or if I've got guys on second and third in the first inning with no outs, how do I get out of this? And without giving up a run. And so, like, being able to put yourself in high-pressure leverage situations to be able to come out on the other end successfully, I think there's a lot of transition from the athlete realm and mindset from being out there, being competitive, and working through a lot of essentially problem solving on the fly to 
business. Yeah, I, you know, I think a lot of people have made that type of analogy, and I think people who are, you know, again, highly competitive and organized, and you have to be as a starting pitcher in particular, um, they're able to apply it in, in different fields. I want to take you back. When you were growing up in, in Lubbock, Monterey High School, and you end up, uh, I think Houston drafted you out of high school, you turned that down. Was it always a, a fate to complete that you were going to stay in town and, and play for the Red Raiders? <laughs> Actually, no. Honestly, it, it wasn't. Uh, it was. I had some other offers out there, um, and I kind of just wanted to see where it was. And I think through that whole process of when I got drafted to finally making the decision to not go ahead and sign with the Astros that year, um, you know, I think it. I, I ended up going back and forth in my mind and talking it out every day, you know, it's like, okay, if I go, if I say yes, then what's next and how long from that decision would it take, or at least what would I think it would take to go from there to being a professional baseball player? Or what would it look like if I go from high school, say no to the Houston Astros and go to play somewhere in college? Because at the point in time, I was talking with Texas, Baylor, Tech, OU, um, which is ironic enough because Tadlock now, who's running our uh, our uh, baseball operations there at Tech now, he ended up he actually recruited me to go to OU, and he remembers me, and then, and it's ironic enough that he ends up at Tech, which he's turned that whole program around. Um, but no, you know, it wasn't an easy decision, and I think going back and forth. Um, through that whole process has helped um, understand that regardless of the direction, understanding that it's going to work itself out in the end. And, you know, do I think if I would have said yes to the Astros and started playing professional baseball with them, do I think I would have ended up playing Major League Baseball? Absolutely. I just think I took a different path to get there. We'll have more of Drew's conversation with Chad Bettis right after this. Hey, I got out of my car today, and we've had a cold January, in case you have not noticed, and uh, plenty of snow, and my garage is a mess. My floor is a mess, man. Mud, cake, dirt, all that stuff. And I'm thinking about, I got to get a steel power washer. I'm going to wait a little bit because there's no point in doing it right now. we got more snow, more cold weather coming. But I'm going to get one of those steel power washers to go along with my other steel products, S-T-I-H-L. You can get yours also at SteelUSA.com. they got a plethora of great items. But i got to clean up that garage. And the only way to do it is power wash the heck out of it. And uh, that's uh, that's for the spring. But check out all of the tools they have. You can order online and then go pick them up at one of 10,000 steel dealers around the country. And as I like to say, because there's more than 10,000, you have one right around the corner from your house. Um, Go look at their products. They're outstanding. They're the best on the market, small, medium, and large, electric, gas, and my favorite, battery-powered. And the battery-powered stuff is legit. So check them out, steelusa.com, S-T-I-H-L, steeldealers.com. Boyer's Coffee, uh, right before I started uh, chatting with you on this podcast, I made uh, another order for Boyer's Coffee uh, to the house. I got Sumatra, I got uh, 
some great flavors coming my way, including chocolate cherry. It's out this month. Chocolate cherry. I love the flavored coffees, man. And I love shopping online at uh, Boyer's Coffee because they have um, they have fun products. They always have new flavors going on. I've told you in the past I'm a K-Cup guy. Um, I'm usually going through two or three in the course of a day, which is kind of interesting to, because I was not one of these coffee drinkers up until about, I don't know, 15, 20 years ago. And now, over the last half dozen years, I'm all in on Boyer's. And I love their story. 1965 started here in the Rocky Mountain region. They're Denver based, they're environmentally conscious, um, and they're a great, great success story. And if you've been around for going on 60 years, you have to be really good, and they are, and you have to make great product, which they do. So give them a try if you have not already. You will be a convert. It's boyerscoffee.com, boyerscoffee.com. Now back to Drew with Chad Bettis. I've always assumed every kid in the Lone Star State, having covered a lot of college football in particular down there, uh, always wants to play for UT. Nah, it's so true. And I remember when Mac Brown had it going, Chad, I remember one time, and, and Matt, I don't know if you ever met Mac Brown, but he's the most humble guy, just a really good human being. And I remember him, I, I asked him, um, you know, because Oklahoma was Oklahoma. And I said, you know, when it comes to recruiting, I said, you know, it looks like you guys are just selecting. And he said, and, and he allowed himself, this, I forget what year it was. He said, we got every kid that we offered <laughs> that year, except one kid and they couldn't get him in uh, academically. And that was it. They got every kid they wanted. So, I mean, I, that that allure of playing for UT is huge, isn't it? Oh yeah, no, hundred percent. And I and also Terry, that's where I wanted to play. I mean, you know, you you see the the talent that comes through there, the 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 legacy that people have helped build at UT from a, even just if you take football outside, right? Just from a baseball standpoint, I mean, there's some dudes, right? And it's like, wow, oh sure. my goodness. And so, um, uh, you know, growing up, that's where I wanted to go. And I ended up meeting Nagi and. And, uh, you know, at, at that point in time, it just wasn't a fit. And, uh, he wanted me to redshirt and I really, you know, like I understood why and I, I and I got all that, but I, I, I wanted the opportunity to not redshirt if that was an option. And he, he was able to tell me that that wasn't going to be an option if I went there. And I, and that, so I understood, but then, uh, talking with Larry Hayes at Tech, I think that's, that was one of the decisions why I ended up going to Tech over Texas is because um, one playing for Larry was a was a awesome experience. I mean, I wouldn't I wouldn't have traded that for a worth the world. But um, he was going to give me the opportunity, and he he told me that he would give me the opportunity as a freshman pitcher to play at the D1 level, and I think um, it it helped again, you know carve out and refine what I knew I needed to do, how I needed to do it, how I needed to go about my business, and then just continue to make that step to the next journey. Um, when, how quickly did you become the Friday night guy? Oh, no, I think it, I think, uh, I think it was my sophomore year. And then I ended up being a flex pitcher there towards the end of my sophomore year. And then my, and then my junior year, I was slated as the Friday guy, and then we ended up starting to fall apart a little bit in our bullpen, and then I ended up 
having a conversation with our, our head coach at the time, Dan Spencer, and was and, and, and just told him, you know, hey, either I need to be a starter and build my value and stock as a starter or leverage me in the bullpen, but don't make me a starter again, you know, because uh, I think what we hear all the time is, oh, it's the same, it's the same thing, it's the same, you know, you get out to this, I understand, we're still trying to get out, right, like, whether a starting pitcher or a relief pitcher, but I think the, the fact of the matter is that the mindset is way different, right? I mean, from a starting pitcher, of course I have to go out there and attack and attack the strike zone and throw strikes and get out and, you know, the 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 hundred year old pitching mantra, right? right? Stay ahead, get ahead, get them out. And but from a relief pitcher standpoint, you know, when I started, even just uh, when I I started to learn that maybe that would have been twenty fifteen, twenty sixteen years with the Rockies. I started to learn that I could actually manipulate the count regardless, to put it in my favor, even if I was behind, to get somebody out. And then that's when my whole mindset started to shift a little bit more towards uh, as a relief pitcher and the ability to control a count, even though it doesn't feel like you're in control of the count, is like, that was just a whole different experience for me. And I think, I you know, I think I ended up gravitating to that um, a lot there just even throughout my the the my career after those years and then beyond you know and, and you were interesting because as a big leaguer you were able to do both and it probably takes you back to your roots in Lubbock but I always describe it kind of in layman terms when I'm sitting up there in the booth um, and, and this is not a, a fresh analogy, but it's between, you know, being a, uh, you know, a marathoner and a sprinter. I mean, when you know you're going out there and you had the mindset you were trying to get 27 outs, the reality is that's so unusual, Chad, right? In today's game, the way it's played, it, it's 18. Yeah, right. It's like, yeah, I mean, there, everybody's giving you hugs. You get 18, you know, high quality outs and, and you're, you know, you're a hero, which again, the game's changed. But when you're, I remember when you would come out of the bullpen, all of a sudden you were back to, um, you know, the reports we heard on you earlier where it was 96, 98 when you were sprinting, when you were coming out trying to get three outs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think, I think again, you know, it's just, it's, uh, I think as I've learned more about my body and how I could respond, and then especially after, you know, after everything with the, the cancer and chemo treatments and stuff, you know, it was just, it was a little bit different in how my body reacted in general, which is what it is. You know, I, I mean, I can't change that and that's fine. And I'm yeah. plenty fine with that. But I think being aware of it is, is something that you have to uh, acknowledge because it's true, right? It's, it's the, I don't have 94, 95, 96 in me for 18 outs anymore. I might be able to tap into that somewhere, but I've got to carve out a way to get through, you know, like you said, 18, 21 outs and hand it off to the bullpen and, and let it go. Whereas as, as coming out of the bullpen, it is a, it's a sprint. And I think it's a little, it's, it's much different adrenaline, right? Uh, and it's just a much different mentality in a way that you have to, apply what you know in a much different fashion, 
you know, I think, and, and we keep getting back to it, right? But it's, it's from, from a starting standpoint, I have, I have 21 outs to play around with, give or take, right? Like I got to keep my team in the game. And of course, I don't want to give up any runs, but if I give up one, hey, I know the rock show is going to score. Like that's not the problem, right? It's, yeah. it's the crooked numbers and, and, and all that, but it's, it's also from a starting standpoint, it let me navigate this, this story, you know, this, let me, let me go through this game and be able to, you know, manipulate hitters or situations and counts in a way that maybe I, I don't play all my cards the very first at bat. Whereas as a relief pitcher, it is, hey, Let's, it's war, right? right. And, and not to say that it's not as a starting pitcher, but it's, it's more of a, you're going to pick your battles and, and who wants to have a 13 or 14 pitch at bat against Goldschmidt? <laughs> like nobody. I hate those at bats. You know, it's like I've shown you everything and now I've shown you more of what I didn't need to show you to try to get you out later in the game. And now I've got to throw a front hip cutter. That I would yeah. never do, but I got to try to do something way different and and surprise you. And, and I think it's just, I think uh, it's it, it's so it's such a different mentality. And I think that for me, that's what um, I, I I I appreciate both facets of it because I, I have the privilege and opportunity to do both. Yeah, yeah, it, it's a long game. It's a chess game when you're out there and hoping to be out there, you know, for several hours as opposed to all right, man. I I see who's on in the on deck circle. I see who's in the batter's box. I know who's on the top step of the dugout getting ready to hit. I'm getting these three guys and I'm airing it all out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, different deal. Hey, Chad, um, having a conversation with you, obviously. Um, for anyone that knows you, you're going to gravitate and and ask questions about what you went through and in your triumph over uh, cancer. How much being an athlete, the competitiveness, both mentally and physically, um, do you think aided you in in the battle that you had? Yeah, you know, I think um, I think in in reality, a lot of it has to do with the foundation around you, right? And I think, I think that can come in a lot of different ways. And I think the more I am further away from that initial diagnosis and the, and the, and all the tests and all the blood work and, and all the chemo and all that stuff, right? But I think the further I get away from it, I think the more, um, more your perception starts to, to align with how, how did I get through that? really effectively and how did I come out on the other end and how is it that you know how how are you how are you able to have such a different outlook or 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 how are you able to stay so positive throughout it right and I think any of those kinds of questions I think everybody has the opportunity and 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 in reality it it, it all comes back down to your foundation right and I think one being, uh, you know, having faith in God, but I think two is your family, right? And I think people view 
players as baseball players, which we are. We're entertainers. We, you know, we like to show out. We have a good time and all that. But I think at the, at the same point, what some people lose sight of is that we're people too, right? And I think when, when you're in the trenches with those individuals for as long as you are, more than you are literally with your actual family, you become family. You go through the, you go through the battles, you go through the arguments, you go through the ups and downs through the year together. And that bond is really strong. And so I think, you know, that being said, I, for me, it comes back down to the foundation of, of being able to understand that, you know, having some stability around you helps immensely. And I think the other part is that, I think uh, having a what we called, at least when I was going through it, is a is, is a chemo nurse, right? A, a chemo angel is what we call them. Uh, but having having the right uh, people help keep you up too, right? Whether that's your wife, your mom or dad, or your brother or sister, or the people that are administering this stuff inside you, <laughs> you know, I think. Um, being able to have some uplift that are, that, that's just random acts of kindness, right? I mean, I think, um, when I, when I think I get back to it, it, it really is about that, right? It's, it's just saying, hey, you can do this. You can get through this. Focus on just, you know, this incremental part of the day. Let's power through it. And then on the other end, we're gonna go. We're gonna go. We're gonna get through this together. We're in. We're in the trenches, right? And it's not fun sometimes, but we're gonna. We're gonna be okay. We're gonna come out on the other side a lot better for it. Okay. And I think. Go ahead. Chad's a good man. And uh, next week we'll have part two of our conversation. We cover a lot of things. Uh, we cover, you know, his his battle, obviously, against cancer, his return when he took the baseball for the first time in a while and threw seven shutout innings against the Atlanta Braves. That's uh, well, There's a lot of moments that kind of run together for me, a lot of games that run together, but there are certain um, instances that stand out, and that is one for me uh, when Chad face the Atlanta Braves and his return from cancer. So we'll have that next week in part two with Chad Bettis. A couple of notes before we get on out of here. Did you see where uh, Tyler Huntley, Snoop Huntley, as his teammates call him with Baltimore, if you're wondering who the hell is Tyler Huntley, um, you know, Lamar Jackson went down this year and didn't play the last, I think, five weeks of the NFL season for the Ravens, and Tyler Huntley took over for him. He's the backup quarterback. Um, solid backup quarterback, right? I think he threw uh I think he I think he counted for three touchdowns in those five weeks, a couple touchdown passes. I think he had one running. Um he was named to the Pro Bowl, folks, because enough players backed out that Tyler Snoop Huntley who accounted for three touchdowns with the Baltimore Ravens, is going to the Pro Bowl. Now, it's a flag football game now. The NFC is uh, is going to be coached by Eli Manning and his brother Peyton Manning. I think you've heard of him. He will coach the um, AFC team in the flag football game. They finally came to their senses 
and got rid of the quote unquote, and I put this in air quotes, the tackle version of the Pro Bowl. Just get rid of the whole thing. You can have a skills competition, but you're, you're now celebrating. And with all due respect to Tyler Huntley, he's now a pro bowler. Come on, man. That's crazy. It's stupid. It's illogical. Stop already. It's the one sport where you, you know, it's okay that you don't have an all-star game. You can elect people to the Pro Bowl to celebrate that they had a wonderful year, but you don't have to play a game that nobody wants to play in. And even the flag football game. What's going to happen if somebody makes a hard cut? Because you're talking about highly competitive guys, and he blows out. Remember the remember the running back who blew out in a beach football game and was never the same? Stop. Stop already. One other football note. I was wondering about this because, you know, I know Harbaugh is supposedly staying at Michigan. But remember he had that clandestine meeting with the ownership group of the Broncos last week, and he had come out and said that, you know, he was staying, the president of Michigan, he was staying. This was after flirting with Minnesota the year before. I had said a while ago that I did not understand why Jim Harbaugh wanted to leave Michigan. I mean, he's 25-3 and three the last couple of years. He's, he's been in the college football playoffs. He's, he's really turned it around. He's done a great job there. And he evidently wants to go back to the NFL. It's pretty clear. I mean, how, how, do, you, how do you recruit to that? I mean, they're trying to recruit the best players in the country, naturally. It's Michigan. I noticed where the, the 247 rankings uh, had them 11th in the country, which is a drop-off. And I get it, because every other coach is going to use that against him. Go, hey, yeah, Harbaugh may or may not be there. He, every year he comes out and says, no, I'm staying in Michigan. And then he continues to flirt with NFL teams. Interesting to watch how that uh, presents itself uh, moving forward. And the last thing I will uh, share with you as we get on out of here is congrats to Dexter Fowler. Uh, I'm sure you caught it earlier in the week. Dexter, after a 14-year big league career, former Rocky, former Rocky draft pick out of a high school in Georgia, announced his retirement. I really enjoyed Dexter. Um, fun guy, beautiful smile, great family. Uh, John and Trudy, his parents, got to know them. Um, you know, his older brother is working in sports as well. Dex had the opportunity to play college basketball. Miami wanted him. Harvard wanted him for basketball and baseball. And the Broncos, or the Broncos, the Rockies were able to lure him as a 14th round pick by giving him number one uh, first round pick money and, and giving him almost a million dollars on uh, what they had saved on Larry Walker's contract when they had traded him uh, to St. Louis. But Dexter, who had never hit from the left side in his life, until pro ball, pro ball became a, a very good switch hitter, very good outfielder. I was thinking of Dexter running out triples with those long strides. He hit a ball to right center field, and, he, and even though you're not taught to do this, he'd look over that right shoulder as he galloped around. He'd get to third base in like seven strides from home plate. Uh, but a good guy, won a world championship with the, with the Cubs, and... Um, a guy that was uh, was raised a Rocky and had a nice career in purple. And uh, I wish him well in all of his endeavors going forward. But uh, I wanted to make mention of Dexter uh, retiring. Time flies, man. Hey, we'll do it again next week with Chad Bettis. And we'll uh, pontificate on other uh, topics as well. Stay safe. Stay well. And thanks, uh, thanks as always, for uh, checking us out here on the podcast. <laughs>